What a beautiful song that is. You can go ahead and be seated. At least go ahead and turn me down a little bit. But what a beautiful song that is. Uh, you know, this past year has been difficult because relationships in many ways have been broken because we haven't been seeing each other as often as, as we would like. And we've gone through, you know, some people, life has changed during that time. Life can be difficult. I, I know that in relationships, I, you know, we've talked to, my wife and I, we've talked to Sharon and Dan. Uh, their, their life has, has changed a little bit with uh, her dad moving in with them and what a blessing that is. And we talked about how that's such a blessing. My wife and I went through that with our parents being able to live with us for, or her parents being able to live with us for a period of time. And then other people go through different situations and we talk to each other and build those relationships and we know that we're not alone in this. But this past year, for many people, it seems like we've been alone in a lot of ways. And I love that song because to know that there is another in the fire with us, there is another in the storm with us, there's one holding back the seas and that is Jesus Christ. And he uses our relationships to represent that in many ways as, as we uphold each other, we pray for each other, as we go through uh, uh, somebody, a, a friend of ours is visiting the, the, the Death Valley this week, and I said, oh, you're going through the valley of the shadow of death, right? And they kind of laughed about that. They're like, no, 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 no. But as we go through those things together, it's important for us to understand that we're doing that on behalf of Christ and what importance that is. Well, let's jump into uh, the Word this morning. We are going to be in Joshua 14. And uh, I, I know last week we kind of jumped through several chapters, and uh, I want to go back and start at, at Joshua 14.1 because as we jump through those chapters, we kind of hit the overall theme, and we need to go back through those and, and hit a little deeper on, on a certain, you know, certain areas. And at this point in their relationship, uh, uh, the leadership in Israel is dividing the inheritance up. So they're taking the inheritance of the land and saying, okay, this tribe gets that, this, and this tribe gets that, and, and, uh, and God gives them their inheritance. As humans, we would call this the spoils of war. We've taken over the territory. Now how are we going to divide it up? But God calls it the inheritance because he promised them this land. And we often forget that ultimately God is in charge, right? We tend to forget that sometimes. We think that, uh, you know, our government's in charge. We think the United States is in charge or, or this is in charge or that's in charge. But ultimately, God is in charge, and that is what's important for us to realize, so at times, God uses certain nations to judge other nations. It's kind of interesting. Now, some of you are a student of the, of the Bible, and you know that when a word is repeated over and over, it's significant in the Scripture. It usually means the Lord is trying to make a point here. So Joshua 14, through the end of the book, um, this word is going to be used over and over, and it's the word inheritance. Joshua I mean, 14, chapter 1, it says... Now, these are the areas the Israelites received as an inheritance in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua son of Nun, and the heads of the tribal clans of Israel allotted to them. If you see a word used once or twice in one verse, you've got to stop yourself and you've got to ask why. What is the Lord trying to say here? He goes on in verse 2 and says, The inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes as the Lord had commanded through Moses. 
Moses had granted two and a half tribes their inheritance east of the Jordan, but had not granted the, the, had not granted the Levites an inheritance among the rest. Now, the word inheritance is a very interesting word because it sounds like, a, you, know, um, like, like you know, the execution of a will, the, uh, what's going to happen with a will. And that's exactly what God is doing here. God is giving them an inheritance, their inheritance. He promised it to them, and now it's happening. It just happened to be that the promise started 450 years ago. You know, it's, it's not like it's a, uh, it was a quick thing. Um, did we have the wrong slides up there, Lisa? Sorry for those that are online. Apparently, I loaded the wrong slides into the, uh, the program today, but she says she has it back, right? She gives me the thumbs up. Okay, so sorry, folks that are online. But 450 years ago, God gave a promise. Now, this is not all of it. There's, a, there's eternal inheritance after this. Uh, you know, they get to be with the Father. They get to be with God. They get to be with Jesus. But for their time on earth, he's giving them an earthly inheritance. And I think the Lord does the same for us today. He wants to bless us and increase us while we're here, increase our territory of our lives. Now, some of us kind of tend to, to take that a little too far. As in, like, name it and claim it, and, 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 and you know, Joe, I, uh, I, I claim that jacket. I'm sorry, God told me that it's mine, now you need to give it to me. <laughs> He's getting up to give it to me, that's great. But I think we can go too far with that, that whole idea, but at the same time, God does want to bless us while we're here on earth. He asks us to pray for those type of things, and he talks about the blessings. Sometimes that blessing is material. Sometimes that blessing is family. Sometimes that blessing is being able to help other people. You know, it's all sorts of blessings that God can give us while we are here on this earth. And this is a great great question to ask the Lord. What is my inheritance? What What are you planning on giving me? What is my portion in this life? And this is not selfish to ask this. This is what the Lord wants us to ask. But then we have to wait for him to be able to give it to us so we can receive it. See, the Lord doesn't think the way I think. The New Testament is our reward, you know. Uh, there's a great inheritance in, in understanding the New Testament. And one of the things that, that God teaches us that is he wants to bless us. And the only thing that, that prevents our blessings sometimes is what? Our disobedience. And we talked about that last week. And when we're living in in disobedience, as a good father, what is he going to do? He's going to take our blessing, and he's going to set it aside and say, well, I'm going to wait off on this until they're behaving a little better, until they deserve it, you know. Now, our whole life shouldn't be trying to deserve things from God. It should be pleasing our father. My kids want to please me because I'm their dad, not because of the blessings that I give them. And that's the same concept as we should take to the Lord. And we react like a child sometimes when that blessing is taken away. We're like, no, no, don't take that away. I don't want to be in trouble. Grayson's great at this. You know, I'll call him over and I'm like, Grayson, come here, right here. Come over here, stand. Now listen to me. No, no, no. Stop looking away. Look at me. He's in the back booth going, I am looking, you know. Um, but but when, when, when I fuss at him because he gets in trouble, he's like, I don't want to be in trouble. And we're the same way with God. None of us want to be in trouble, do we? No, of course not. But our dis- disobedience sometimes temporarily blocks 
the blessing of God. If you want the full blessing of God every day in your life, then live and walk in his obedience. Live and walk for him. Now, you're never going to be perfect, but go down that path. Let the Holy Spirit fill you and walk and start you know, treating people like Jesus would want you to treat them. And that's what I'm... I'm amazed at this over and over, how often I see Christians treat other people outside of the church certain ways, and it just I'm just flabbergasted. I, I remember several years ago, um, uh, this lady just, just ripped into the salesperson, and I forgot exactly the conversation. I need to go back and look it up because uh, I wrote it down somewhere because it was just so striking. And then afterward, I looked up at her, and, um, and uh, when I got up there to the, the desk, uh, the retail desk and stuff, and I said, I'm sorry for the way they treated you. Because they, were t- they knew they were from a church, the other person in front of me, and the way they treated them was very bad. And I said, I'm a, I'm a Christian too, and they shouldn't have treated you that way. And it's sickening to me how often we do this. We treat people the way Jesus would not want people to be treated. But for some reason, we start off comparing ourselves to each other. And we start to, start to wonder and we start to think, well, I'm better than so-and-so. Of course I am. You know, I mean, look at their life. Look at their sin. And God's going, but, but you need to compare yourself to Jesus. Jesus is perfect. And then you realize that you cannot be perfect, and that's when we ask for forgiveness. So, when we stop comparing ourselves, we start treating people how Christ wants them to be treated, we start living uh, the way God wants us to live, then what do we receive? More blessings. See, we fail to understand that God's blessings have no bounds. They are infinite. They are huge. They are just unbelievable. I mean, I want to give my kids everything, right? I mean, most parents feel like that. And I hold back for, you know, because we can spoil them too much. You know, I mean, my kids are already spoiled. I mean, they live in America, you know. Much less middle-class America, if you want to call it that or whatever. You know, the Lord's, uh, you know, blessed my wife and I so we can provide for our children and stuff. But we, we, got, we have to be careful not to spoil them too much. But, but God's blessing is infinite. It knows no bounds. It's not like he's going to run out of money, is he? He owns everything. And his blessings are exceedingly abundant, all that we could ever ask for or ever think of. And I can remember doing a, the series in Ruth, and, and it talk about, we started talking about God's blessing, and I had the, uh, how God just blessed her with, with, uh, you know, with more oats and stuff that were on the side of the field, and she would go and glean on the side of the field. And I remember taking and, and, and saying, God just blessed her, and I threw some out, and everybody about freaked out because it was just going everywhere off the stage, you know. And then I reached back down and said, God blessed her. And then I just started throwing it out, and, you know, and all the older folks were just like, you know. The younger folks were like, yes, go for it, you know. But, you know, anyway. But that's how God is. He wants to bless us. He wants to do those things. And, and, and I want you to remember, we are legal heirs of God because of Jesus Christ. He was our advocate. He was our lawyer. And we, go, we are legal heirs to all that God has and all that God is and what Christ is. Now, how much is that? That's everything. God owns everything. I didn't earn it. An inheritance, do you earn an inheritance? No. It's given to you. 
Your parents, my mom, and I keep telling her, mom, it's your money. If you want to redo your kitchen, redo your kitchen if you, if, if you want to do that. If you want to do this, it's your money. She's like, well, I want to save it for you guys. And it's like, we didn't earn this. You, we'll get whatever you leave us, but we didn't, it's not like I earned it. So you do with what you want to do with it. You know what I'm saying? We didn't earn this inheritance. Our Lord sees and knows everything. So we can stop playing word games with God. And we can enter in a relationship with God where we say, God, clean out my life. See if there's anything that's in there that's not supposed to be in there. And start cleaning it out. And be gentle, Lord, be gentle. But clean it out. Lead us into the way of the everlasting. And then along the way, we can grab a hold of all the things that God has for our life here, but we can stop grabbing for the things that the world has. We can, you know, we're not the Canaanites. We're not the, the Philistines. We're children of God, and we need to remember that. We are not of this world. You see the bumper stickers, and, and the scriptures talk about that, how we, we are not of this world. And it's true. We need to stop grabbing for the things of this world. In the middle of all, the, all that God blesses us with, we need to stop grabbing for the world. Well, as we continue to read, we'll discover another key word here, and it's in... Uh, Chapter 15. Hey, we got it up there, I think. It says, The allotment of the tribe of Judah, according to its clans, extended down to the ter territory of Edom and the desert of Zin in the extreme south. Their southern boundary started from the, from the bay at the southern end of the Dead Sea, and it goes on and talks about all that. And then verse 4 it says, It then passed along to uh, Asmon and joined at Wadi of Egypt, ending in the Mediterranean Sea. This is their southern boundary. The eastern boundary is the Dead Sea as far as the mouth of Jordan, and the northern boundary started from the Bay of the Sea at the mouth of the Jordan and went up to Beth Hoglah and continued north of Beth Arba to the stone of Bohan, son of Reuben. And it goes on and on and on. And basically what it is is along with the word inheritance, we start to see the word boundary. And this is a good word for us to understand. It's another word for that would be border. And for some of us, we need to slow down and we need to start looking at this. It seems so obvious, but at the same time, it's more than just distribution of inheritance. When God gives us a key word like this, we must ask, we must ask, uh, you know, God, what are you trying to say? He gives us the word inheritance. Okay, we got that. We didn't earn anything and you're giving us something. Okay, we understand that. So then we ask, what is our inheritance? And the second thing we need to ask is a key one. What are my boundaries? This is a very PC word, you know. Uh, other words is parameters. What are my parameters here? And before we say, okay, I would like, to, to, I would like this to be my boundary. Okay, here's my boundary. My, my son likes to play um, uh, for his birthday. We got him uh, the VR, virtual reality goggles, you know. So... One of the things you've got to do with that, because you're covering up your eyes and you cannot see, you know, you're, you're lost in your own little world and playing whatever game or whatever thing you're doing. But you with your hand thing is you have to set up a boundary. Because if you don't set a boundary, the thing won't let you know when you're, when you're off that boundary and you can run into things, right? Because you have blinders on. You can back into things. You can knock things over. 
So you have to set those boundaries. So, but but here, what I'm talking about is God setting our boundaries, not us setting our own boundaries. And we start to realize the Lord is supposed to set our boundaries. The Lord established those boundaries of all the different tribes of Israel for a reason. And then he blesses them all. And then he, he, you know, he also said, Simeon, you know, you go down there. That is your boundary. That's your area. And he said to Neptali and to Dan, you go live up north. You go up there, and here's your boundary. So the Lord tells them all the different boundaries. And what's interesting about Israel and Joshua is going to give us a, a case study of Ephraim and Manasseh here. It's almost like he just takes those two and says, okay, let me write down, let me tell you what happened to these two, and you can extrapolate it out to all the other uh, tribes. So he could have picked really any of the, the tribes here. But he tick, picked these two because there's not enough time to, to write it all down. You know what I mean? Uh, but come to find out, these two tribes, they weren't very happy. They weren't happy with the boundaries that God gave them. Now, does this sound familiar at all? Are we ever not happy with the things that God has given us, the boundaries that God's given us? Well, God, I want this. Well, God, I want that. And God's going, yeah, but your, your boundaries are here. You can't go over there and get that. You shouldn't be trying to go over there and get that. When you do that, you're out of my will. You're out of my, my ways. But he picked these two tribes. And they sought the Lord. And the Lord set their boundaries. But what's interesting is the Lord set their boundaries all the way back in Genesis with a guy named Jacob who got his name changed to Israel. And when Jacob or Israel was dying, he blessed the sons, uh, you know, by name. He, he sat down and, and they came in each tent. And he, he blessed each one. And these are the names of, our, of the tribes, okay? You have Zebulon, and Zebulon is to live by the sea. So he blesses Zebulon and says, Zebulon, you will live by the sea. So all these things are happening 400 years, you know, 450 years earlier. Their boundaries are being set. And they said this in Genesis. And when Joshua sought the Lord out and said, okay, now we're supposed to give out the inheritance, they got out some stones, as they did. It was their way of picking things. And, and they picked them out of the bag, and they threw the stones, and Zebulon, guess what? Got the land by the sea. Imagine that. God said that would happen 450 years earlier. So that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what panned out. And it showed you that even in times when leadership thinks they're making decisions, they're not really making decisions. God's making decisions, and he's just letting them to, to execute his will, to, to do his will. So, you know, this is, uh, the Lord is using that leadership, and, and leadership needs to hear that, that, that the leaders, we're not really in charge. Leadership always assumes they're in charge, right? Well, you've got you to have that strong leader. you got to just, and, you know, but I don't know how many times I've heard this in the Old Testament. Uh, you know, we, you read it in the Old Testament, you read it in the New Testament, and you, and you hear it all the time. I just can't wait till I'm in charge. You know, my, my statement I like when I'm talking about different things with people, I go, man, if I was in, just in charge of this, then everything would be perfect, of course. Because that's how we feel, right? We just never say that out loud. But really, God's in charge. Spiritual leadership will lay things before the Lord and then throw the dice in a sense, then make the decision. Lord, what is your will on this? And this is where things get kind of dicey. Now, you know, all the tribes in the different lands, 
They have all these different types of terrain. And when you go, you know, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, I, I mean, I, I really want to go back. I mean, I, I think flights would be pretty cheap right now, but I'm not sure anybody wants to fly that far, you know? But, you, you know, when you get there, you'll see parts of the land that you think are just worthless. You get down to the Dead Sea area. I mean, it's the lowest point on earth, and you just think it's, it's worthless until you realize that there's medicinal things down there at the Dead Sea. Or you go out into the desert and you say, why would, why would anybody want this? Well, God knew that one day oil would come out of those deserts and it would help modern-day Israel. God knew all these different things. All sorts of things come out of Israel. I mean, there's a miniature Silicon Valley there. And these guys, you know, they're not always happy with what God gave them. But God has a plan and a purpose and how they were to establish all their lands and how this applies to us. If we were allowed, I mean, if we were to allow God to plan our borders, to plan our boundaries, to draw them out for us, we'd be, we would be a lot more content. We'd be a lot more satisfied with our lives instead of going, Man, I wish I was in that tribe. I wish I was in that group. I wish I was at that place. I wish I had that job. I wish I had that spouse. Oh, did I really think that? You know, unfortunately, that's how this world's come to, where we wish, we wish, we wish, and we have to be careful what we act upon. You know, what's interesting is we can visit those areas. Man, I wish I had that place down to the beach. I, you've heard me say this before. Where is my favorite place to have church? Hawaii. Yeah, thank you. You all answered. I like that. Hawaii. I think I deserve the church um, down off the airport beach, uh, the old airport beach on Kona um, out there. I mean, that, that would just be awesome for me because I love that area, and you get to see the whales come up on Sunday, and we could all stop and turn around and marvel at God's creation as the whale breaks the, the top of the, uh, you know, the water and all that kind of stuff. That's what I deserve, right? I mean, I think that, but God's sitting there going, no, Alan, that's not what I have planned for you. But God still allows me to visit that area. You see what I'm saying? So we have to be careful in what we desire. So God establishes our boundaries. We think, that, you know, there's sometimes when we feel that this is so restrictive to us. And we go, how come I cannot have that? Or how come I want that, but I can't have it? And he says, because I didn't set those boundaries for you. So get over it. Your boundary is here. Don't go over there. You know, my parents used to do this. There's your line. Don't cross the line. You know, especially in the car when you're driving on a long trip and the kids won't stop fighting. Here's your line. You cross it. That's it. You're going to have to deal with discipline with me, you know? God's saying, here's your boundaries. Here's your line. How come my business is not as successful as theirs? Well, because God wanted their business to be successful. See, our response should be to stay within our boundaries. Other times, those same boundaries seem so large. How am I going to be able to do all this? Because, I mean, look at all what God wants me to do. This is impossible. And this is where we usually get tired and just kind of lay down and say, forget it. And God's going, no, get up. Start hopping. We need you to go. I need you to do some things. There's some things that he wants us to accomplish, and we find ourselves having to rely on others to accomplish the job. And imagine that. Maybe God wants that to happen. 
So sometimes it feels restrictive, and sometimes it feels too expansive, and then there's another one. It just totally feels like the wrong boundaries. And we go to the Lord, just like Ephraim does, and just like Manassas does, the two tribes, and they go to Joshua, and they basically say, you gave us the wrong boundaries. Have you ever felt that way? (laughs) It's kind of like a family. You don't get to choose your family. God, you gave me the wrong family. God, you gave me the wrong job. And a lot of times the world would say, well, yeah, then go get a different job. And God's like, no, 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 I have you there for a reason. See, we think it's about money. We think it's about making it. But sometimes it's about influence, influencing somebody else to go the right direction, to do the right thing, to come to the Lord. You get that ability to be God to them. And I don't mean literally be God. I'm saying represent God, okay? Don't don't take it out of context. But we shouldn't say wrong wife or wrong husband. I'll just get another one. That's what the Lord, I mean, that's what the world does. Now, there's, there's clearly times when it's the wrong job, and you have to go to the Lord. And if the Lord releases you, then go get another job. Go do something else, okay? Don't just stay stuck there. You've got to go to the Lord about it and get his peace about what you're supposed to be doing. Because it might be the wrong job, or it might be the wrong, uh, it might be the right job, or it might be the wrong job. And that's between the Lord and you, you know? The right edu- maybe you need to go get the right education for that other job. When I went back to school to get my pastoral degree... I tell you, I couldn't stand it. I spent five and a half years at University of Houston. So when I left University of Houston, I'm taking, you know, I was doing a double major with a double minor there. I'm taking senior, you know, I'm, I'm doing big stuff, okay? Then I went back to get my Bible degree and figured, well, you know, let me, let me go back and, and, and start all this because I, I need all those little classes. I couldn't stand it. I was in there with freshmen, 18-year-olds, and you just wanted to grab them by the collar and just whack them upside the head, right? And I'm like, Lord, come on, you can't be serious. How come I'm in these? Ah, I just don't understand, Lord. Then come to find out there was a reason. I built relationships with many of those students, and then two years later, I did three years of school in two years and graduated from there, went, started going to take seminary classes, And then I started working for that same college that I just graduated from. So all those relationships that I built, now I'm leading on mission trips. I'm going down to Mexico. I'm going to Greece. And yes, I'm going to Hawaii. I took 37 college students. For some reason, that was a big trip. I don't know why. They all decided to sign up for that. But man, you know, leading them in worship and all these. I still have relationships with many of those students today. They're no longer students. Some of them have kids older than my kids. I mean, if you can imagine that. But it's what happens when you wait on kids, you know? But just when you think this maybe just doesn't fit right, the Lord shows me there's a reason I have you in these parameters, these boundaries. So it's important to know the boundaries that God sets for us because clearly there's times when it's a good fit and sometimes when it's not a good fit. Sometimes when it's not a good fit, it's because God didn't want us there in the first place, and we've crept over the line. So we have to be careful not to run away and make another mistake. We have to go to the Lord, and he clearly says, you are in the wrong place, then you need to leave that place. 
And then we need to make sure we're not making the same type of decision-making process. You know, I've noticed this over the years where somebody will make a decision, it'll take them a wrong direction. And you get them back, you pull them back, and you just love them, and you love them back into to the right place, and then they start making those same wrong decisions, you know, the same type of decisions. You're like, no, 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 no. And you just kind of shut your mouth, and you love them back into it again, and then you start talking to them about how decisions are made. You know, so often, we'll go to God and we'll say, God, you put me in the wrong place. And God's like, no, those were your decisions, Alan. Those weren't my decisions. So we have to be careful in that. That's when we need to, to self-evaluate. Because, we, do, you know, we don't like to self-evaluate. We like to evaluate others. Can you believe so-and-so? Can you believe what they did? Can you believe what so-and-so did? Oh, their family, da-da-da, you know, all these different things. But we like to grade ourselves either on pass or fail. Uh, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, we, we like to grade other people on pass or fail, but we grade ourselves on the curve. And Joshua is going to give us a case study of Ephraim and Manasseh. But before we go there, we have to remind ourselves, what was the assignment of every tribe at this point in the book of Joshua? If you're taking notes... Their assignment has three things. The first thing, drive out the enemy in their area. Drive those, uh, those people groups out. They had 400 years to come back to the Lord to recognize what they were doing wrong. God gave them chance after chance, and they didn't do it. So now God is using Israel to judge them, and you need to drive the enemy out of the area. Secondly, you need to occupy the land. And third, you need to bear fruit. You need to be out there planting. You need to be out there doing things. Now, regardless of where you are, uh, you know, the fruit <laughs> looks the same. What I mean is this. The fruit looks like fish or cosmetics or wheat or sheep or grapes or uh, lumber or fruit. I mean, it's everything that you've been putting your effort into. That is the fruit. The enemy has different names. The enemy is, is like the Canaanites, the Perizzites, all the ites. You know, they have gone, we've gone over all this. But it is still the enemy that doesn't want to go. But they should drive out the enemy in their area. They should occupy that land, and they should bear fruit. In other words, make a living there. Think you can remember that at all? Because the Lord is going to have you apply that to your life. Whatever situation you find yourself into, what are you supposed to do? Drive out the enemy in those areas of your life that aren't full of God, the boundaries that God has for you. Secondly, you're supposed to occupy it. You're supposed to stay in those boundaries. If you leave those boundaries, what happens? Something comes in and occupies it. Thirdly, you're supposed to bear fruit. You're supposed to live there. <coughs> So what Joshua does now is gives us this case study of the famine of Ephraim. And we're going to pick up in uh, chapter 16, verse 9. And I do believe he, he, he could have picked any tribe, but he picks this one right here. And, and Joshua is an Ephraimite, uh, Ephraimite uh, who, is the father of Ephra, uh, and who is the father of Ephraim and Manasseh. Joseph, who was the son of Israel, and God, uh, God's reward to Joseph was that he was going to bless both sons. It goes on in verse 9. It also included all the towns and the villages that were set aside for the Ephraimites within the inheritance of 
Manassites. And if you look at a map, and I didn't go grab a map this time, but you will see Ephraim and Manasseh both have a lot of land. And they're right in the middle of the country. And you get to the Jordan Valley area, uh, the Jordan River Valley. It's the most fertile part of the land. So they have a lot of the land. They could, they could do lots of great things. But verse 10, it says, They did not dislodge the Canaanites living in Gezer to the day the Canaanites live among the people of Ephraim but are required to do forced labor. So basically, they're like, we'll just make them slaves. Then chapter uh, you know, 17, verse 12, it says, yet, uh, yet the uh, Manassites were not able to occupy these towns, for the Canaanites were determined to live in the land. Those nasty little guys, they just won't, they won't go away. They're determined. Even though we've told them it's our land now, but they didn't drive them out. Goes on, verse 13. However, they, when the Israelites grew stronger, they subjected the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. So they get to a point where they could have done it. They were strong enough, but they didn't do it. What is wrong with this logic? If you're, you know, if you're, you're strong enough to enslave a whole nation of people, what else are you strong enough to do? What God asked you to do, and that was to drive them out, to get rid of them. But as they got stronger, in a sense, they got dumber for some reason. You know, and, and uh, you know, what is wrong with this logic on this, you know? And unfortunately, we see this in churches today. The driving out thing is a big hassle. We like to ignore things. Let's just ignore that sin that's happening over there. Nothing to see here. Just put my blinder on. Oh, put my blinder. Okay, I'm... I'm good. I see the cross. I don't see, you know, I don't have to deal with anything else. You know, some of our kids are, are married. And, you know, then you have to figure out how are you going to do Christmas? And then you have to start thinking, okay, did they marry another Christian? You know, some of those families out there, and, and you know, well, their gods aren't that bad. Until they start intermingling, and then it changes everything. Then they're to a point where they're saying, well, their idea was better than God's idea. Well, what was their idea? Well, let's just dominate them. Now, think about this. Israel basically said, their gods aren't as bad. I know God wants us to drive them out, but we didn't. Their gods, okay, we can put up with that. But who is Israel? Israel is freed slaves. And then they're going to go and subjugate another group of people and make them slaves. How, how crazy is that? That you're willing to do that to somebody else? How is it the generation whose fathers were slaves in Egypt? Because it really worked out you know, well for Egypt in the end, didn't it? What do you mean? Well, when Israel left, they took all the money, right? Basically, the Egyptian people were saying, here, have our money, get out of here because our nation is being destroyed because of this. Just take it. So it didn't work out good for Egypt. So what makes Israel think it's going to work out for good for them when they subjugate, when they turn people into slaves? You're going to enslave a whole group of people and then have them you know, do the work of God for you? I mean, do you see how quickly this can fall apart? I mean, if you want to see it, you can read the first few chapters of, of the book of Judges 
because these groups were not driven out and they start to get stronger they start to understand Israel and and then they they end up enslaving the Israelites and Gideon and all the guys had to resort to guerrilla warfare to combat this so how does this relate to us we need to go ahead and go there now the compromises that I'm willing to make now in my life in the land in the boundaries and the areas that God has for me those compromises that I'm willing to make I mean before you're a Christian who is your enemy anybody you didn't like you know the guy Ralph Bob whoever you know now Bob you're not my enemy I'm just using a name okay but really what it is is they irritate you one of the irritate you well they're always angry so really anger is the enemy right or how about alcohol or lust or greed or selfishness you could just keep going here and we'd be like oh this is a church we don't have any of those problems <laughs> you see when we start approaching the word the number one thing we're supposed to do is drive the enemy out before it influences us we need to find out what our borders are and we need to drive them out we need to get on the horse and ride out to the perimeter and say, I will drive the enemy past this point. For some of us, that needs to be our front door of our house because we've let the enemy within the house. Whether it's through our, our devices or our TV and those type of things, it leads us in a direction that doesn't go toward God, so we need to drive it out of the house. You see, a lot of times we feel like we're responsible for everybody when God's sitting there going, you need to be responsible for yourself. You need to figure out where your border is and you have to drive them past that border. Why? Because Pastor Allen taught you that this was a biblical principle that if you didn't drive them out later on they'll rule you and they'll rule your life again and then you'll be living as a compromised Christian with no spiritual power and you're wondering what what happened to my joy what happened to to my peace what happened to my life then and you got to look back in the in the trail that you came down and go oh that's where I made that decision that's where I made that decision that led me in the wrong direction what happened is is that we disobeyed when the Lord gave us the land and we don't drive out the enemy and we say, but I can't. The enemy's so entrenched and determined. Of course they are. Duh. This is pretty good land. The enemy doesn't want to give it up. They have dug in and, and said, no way I'm going to give up my land. Just like, just like lust does to our mind. Lust is in our mind. It says, I'm not giving up this land. I'm not giving up this, this, this brain matter area and you know, wherever it is in your brain. I, I'm, I'm sticking here. And as a Christian, we have to drive these things out. The Lord calls us, demands us to drive it out. And then we say, but I can't because they're too strong. And the Lord says, well, I'll make you strong. I'll give you the spirit to help you. 
But the problem is, the scriptures tell us that when they were made strong enough, they didn't do it. He didn't do it at all. Do you know the Holy Spirit is making you stronger uh, than the sin that rules over your life? That's important for us to understand. There's nothing that we can't handle if we're handling it with God. Did you know that God can empower you to have victory over the thing that has ruled your life and you're sitting there going, I just can't, I can't get rid of this and it's wrecked relationships or it's cost you money or it's time or sleep. God can give you victory over that if you rely on him. But don't think it won't be a battle. Don't think that it won't be difficult. The Canaanites came to Joshua in, in, uh, in Joshua chapter 17, verse 14. and says, the people, uh, people of uh, Joseph said to Joshua, why, you, why have you given us only one allotment and one portion for an inheritance? Why are, uh, we are a numerous people, and the Lord has blessed us abundantly. Man, these guys have no problem with self-esteem, right? We had Joseph, we have Joshua, we are a great tribe. Remember, we're a family. He's blessed us abundantly. And Joshua goes on and says, If you are so numerous, and if the hill country of Ephraim is too small for you, go into the forest and clear the land for yourselves. There in the, in the land of the Pezzarites and the Raphonites. Joshua uses their own words against them. I love this. He basically says, you are a bomb. It's a, it's a Hebrew word. You are a bomb. You are a great people. Rab means you, a lot, like many. And, and bomb means, it means mighty. You are, you are many people. You are mighty people. You are a bomb. And, you, you know, uh, <coughs> I agree. And you need to go into the rest of your land that you haven't conquered yet because you are so numerous, you can handle this. You can go up there and fight. I agree. Head to the hills. No one has conquered them yet. Verse 16, the people of Joseph replied, The hill country is not enough for us. This is like the Tel Aviv area. This is a, you know, they have three million people living in Tel Aviv right now. So, I mean, there's, there's lots of land there, okay? Pretty good land, in fact. But the Canaanites who live in the, uh, live in the plain have chariots fitted with iron, both those in Beth Shan and the settlements of those in the valley of Jezreel. Joshua, come on. This is not good enough. They got chariots of iron. We can't live in the hill country either. I mean, there's natural, natural obstacles. We have to clear the land. You know, there's giants up there living. You know, those parasites are up there. I don't, you know, I don't think so. Uh, lions and tigers and bears. Oh my, I can't do anything, God. And it should be obvious to you, Joshua. Hello, just look. We have a lot of people. Where are we going to live? We're Rabam. Verse 17, it goes on and says, if I have it. But Joshua said to the tribes, of Joseph to Ephraim and Manasseh, you are numerous and very powerful. You will not only ha uh, you will have not only one allotment, but the Forstead Hill country as well. Clear it, and its furthest limits will be yours. Though the Canaanites have chariots filled with iron, and though they are strong, you can drive them out. 
See, the problem was they didn't, you know, they thought they didn't have enough land for inheritance, but that was wrong. The problem was that there was too much work to do. There was too much work to do. And they didn't want to do it. I mean, have you ever been there where you're just overwhelmed and there's a lot of work to do? And, and they're like, we'll take anything. Can we just have the desert land? I mean, I can go down there because this is just too hard. We just want to lay in the sand and, you know, like other tribes. How come our land, how come our allotment, how come our boundaries are so hard? How come it's so easy for everybody else? And this is where we compare ourselves. But until we walked in those, the, their shoes, we don't really know. Joshua was speaking the same words that Jesus would say to us today. You see, this is it. The Canaanites represent any type of spiritual warfare God is calling you to. The Canaanites, the Perizzites, all the different ites represent the enemy. Then the enemy is dug in. And Jesus says, now go fight them. And we're like, but I can't fight without a chariot. I need a chariot. And I'm going to sit here and I'm going to whine about it. No way. No way I'm going to go in there and reconquer my area of the Central Valley. There's no way I can do that. The enemy is too strong. They're too dug in. They're too powerful. I'm just going to give up. Well, when we talk like that, we sound like the Ephraimites. You see, we are the people of God. And the people of God need to be about godly things. Our actions, our attitude, our desires need to be godly actions, attitudes, and desires. Sometimes we, we think too much with our, our heads and we don't let the Spirit lead us. See, man looks with this outward appearance. What does God look, look with? God looks at the heart. And I tell you, just as the Lord would tell you, go take the land. What boundary does God have for you? Then go get the Canaanites, go get the, the world out of those boundaries. And we have to do this if God is going to bless us. And sometimes you need to do it on your own. But more often than not, we need to do this together. I want to encourage you to encourage one another. We need to support one another in the battles that we have. You know, we need to do this by helping, by serving, by loving, by laughing, by playing, by giving, by receiving. We need to be here for each other, especially during this time. Because if you choose not to join the battle, someone's going to end up hurt. Someone's going to get injured because you chose to sit on the sideline. And when the football team goes out on the field this afternoon for the Super Bowl, what if your offensive line just decided, eh, it's too hard. We're just going to sit this round out. So the other, you know, how many, uh, other five, four guys, depending on, you know, your setup, go out there against the other 11 guys. How's that going to work? Well, somebody's going to get pummeled, right? Somebody's going to get hurt. That's what happens when we as Christians sit down and don't go out there and fight with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Someone else gets hurt. So find out what our boundaries are. Go out there and clear it out. Because God has already promised that he's going to allow you to be able to do it. Amen? Amen.
Well, why don't we pray as the worship team leads us in a last song. Lord, sometimes the battle just seems to be too big. Sometimes the battle just seems to be overwhelming. But Lord, I, I pray that we start to follow you in your footsteps. There's so many different things that we can do in this world to, to affect change if we just figure out what our boundaries are. We just figure out what you want us to do. And then come to find out, we look around and there's others there to help us, Lord. That's what we love about you. You never leave us out there by ourselves. Lord, I pray for those that, that feel like they're by themselves, that they would contact us, that they would be with us, that they would be a part of our family, that they are never alone. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may he bless you when you walk in his ways. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.